Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. And so when we, we look at an audience like this, if, if we could hold on our chest the little summary of our stories, I think we would break down bawling, recognizing we're a bunch of damaged, hurt, broken people. And you know that what concerns me is I grew up going to church, and church has been part of my life since I was little, though I can't say it was significant. I did go to church growing up, and I noticed something about churches. Churches have, have a really good way of putting all the junk off to the side and give the impression that everyone's doing really good. And we're afraid to open up that lid to get involved with these stories because we're afraid what we'll discover or maybe we're afraid to open up the lid to our own lives because I don't know if I can trust anybody in this place. If they knew who I really was, they'd tell me to walk out this door. But I think we are coming to a place in our culture and, and I think we're in a place as a church we don't want to play games anymore. We don't want facades. We don't want the mask that says I'm better than I really am. We want to be seen for who we are. Now, I don't know about you, because maybe some of you like church that stays on the surface. I'm tired of that kind of church. I don't want to be part of a church like that. I want to be a church that gets its hands dirty, that gets into the messes of life, that starts to, to, to probe into areas to say, we, God wants better for our marriage. God wants better for your heart. God doesn't want that garbage accumulating in the back. And the solution isn't to just keep stuffing it and stuffing it and stuffing it and think it's going to go away because it's stinking your life up. And God wants you to bring it out. And we want to, we want to be a church that provides a place for that. Now, most of the stuff we deal with centers around family. Our, our relationships with, with, with family members, our spouses, our kids, our parents, our relatives, a lot of this stuff centers around those most precious relationships. And what concerns me is if, if Jesus helps our lives... Shouldn't he be helping us at the very core of where we live in our homes? Isn't it, shouldn't it play out well within our homes? And yet, I've seen people over the years who seem to be strong spiritually. They're faithful in church. They read their Bibles. They love Jesus. And yet, for some reason, their family's going in, in several different directions. They're not on the same page. I don't know why that is. I think God wants better for us. I think God wants us to be able to, to, to come together as a family. And so I want to present to you today as kind of a vision talk of, and, and you'll hear talks like this very frequently in the coming years because we believe we've got to do a better job than we've done before as families and as churches working for the family. And we've got to fight for the things that are most important. And I'm not going to give up on my marriage. I'm not going to give up on my relationship with my kids or my grandkids or my parents because I don't think God wants me to. I'm going to fight for those. And I'm going to do the hard work that's going to take honesty, vulnerability, courage, love to bring healing into those relationships. There's an incredible impact when the family and church come together to strengthen the family life. Each can be influential on their own, but when they come together, there's a synergy, there's this power. So I want to share with you a premise and a promise. And the premise is this. That healthy families make strong churches, and strong churches make healthy families. They, they help each other. I think that makes common sense. You have strong families that compose your church. You've got a strong church. You've got leaders who, who are strong in the church. Because when, when families are strong, you have people who know how to manage people. In fact, it says of an elder, he must first be tested in the home to show that he can manage his own home. Because if he can manage his home, then he's qualified to manage the household of God. So strong families make strong churches. A church that's strong will do things that'll help the family. 
help marriages, strengthen them, offer services that'll bless the family. So it's this, this synergy. I don't know which comes first, but they just build each other. There's an energizing cycle. When one is good, the other is good. And when that one's good, that helps the other. Good families help churches, and good churches help families. But the opposite is true as well. Sick families make weak churches, and weak churches make sick families. If the, if the families are broken, dysfunctional, and those are the people that are leading the ministries within your church, you're going to have a church that really doesn't know how to help the family in a good way. And it's going to be sort of this, this death spiral that neither is helping each other. And the sad thing today is I believe in many ways this is where we find our culture. In the 1980s, when I first uh, went off to Bible college, went into ministry, focus on the family was just peaking at their influence. Now, probably everybody here knows them by name, but they were very influential at bringing a family focus into the church, that we need to help marriages, we need to reach our kids. And so they provided video series and radio programs and books and magazines, and others followed with conferences and Gary Smalley and all these different speakers and ministries formed to help the family. But with all those resources... We find the family, you know, in our current state, I think in worse shape than it was in the 80s. And it's not a lack of resources. I'll tell you what I think has happened. There was this false sense the family was doing really well because the culture supported the family. So when your kids went to school, you're tuning on the TV, you, you pretty much felt like everybody's supporting what we're trying to accomplish within our family. But when, when you lose that support, all of a sudden you see the family for what it really is. That, that the culture isn't supporting the family anymore. In fact, the culture is attacking the family. You could, when I was in um, high school and college, shows like The Cosby Show and uh, All in the Family and The Jeffersons and you know, uh, Good Times and all these family-related shows were on TV, and we used to watch those as a family. And now you have shows like Scandal and Betrayal and, and, and Lies and Mistresses and all this, attacking the values that we're trying to portray, encouraging people to... That, that marriage really isn't fun, it's not good. It, real fun is outside the marriage. And infidelity is real rewarding. You'll be, you'll be happy if you live like that. And so culture is attacking the family. Really, when culture was supporting family, it was, it was, it was sort of like a girdle. Now, now I, I can't talk about women because I, 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 it's dangerous territory. But, you know, men use, men don't call them girdles and things. They call them compression briefs and compression clothing, Okay. So here's an example. Here's a typical guy. He's not bad shape. A little bit of a, a, bit of a, a belly there. But, but look at this with his, call it a myrtle. This myrtle. It's a man girdle. Man, this guy looks sharp now, right? Same guy. Same weight. Where did it go? It's still there. It's just it's pushed around <laughs> in other locations. But it's still there. It's just hidden. He gives the perception that he's something that he's not. You take away the girdle, you end up with the guy on the left. Or excuse me, the myrtle. It's a man girdle. Take away the myrtle, that's what he looks like. Culture has, has said, we're not going to support the family anymore. Let's see what the family's like. And we look at the family and go, I don't like what I'm looking at now. Blah. You know, family's all over the place. Family's a mess. And, and we're seeing it within families. All the dysfunction, all the brokenness, all, all, all the hurt. And so the church is reflecting that culture. We have people walking away from church. We have people walking away wounded from church. We have churches struggling to work through conflict. We have churches dividing because they don't know how to work through relational issues. What's happening in the home is happening within our churches. It's kind of a, a downward death spiral. So how, how can we fix it? What's the hope? When you have 
um, both home and the church, broken, dysfunctional, sick. How can we fix things? Who's going to take the first step? It's going to require both to allow God into those arenas in a greater way. When God is brought into the family in a greater way and God brought in the church greater way, then they can combine forces to have an incredible impact. Because there are two great forces that God has placed upon this earth. The first is family. God created the family. It says in the Bible, he has set the lonely in families. And we use this color to associate with family. the color of red because home is where the heart is. And so if you think of home, that's really where love is, is first conveyed to um, children. Children grow up in home from the time they're little babies. You know, a little baby doesn't have to do anything to earn love. It's just unconditional. I've seen a couple new babies this weekend. Got to hold these little things, just, just a few pounds in weight. And you know, that, that baby hasn't earned love. That baby's love because he or she is. And so little kids grow up in a home. doesn't matter um, if they've got... Uh, any, anything wrong with them that we would say physically that, 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 that maybe through birth or, or genetics isn't quite right or maybe they've got you know, glasses or their teeth aren't straight. But they grow up in a home and they just are loved. And then when they go to public school, oftentimes they discover, Mom, the kids say I'm fat. Or they say I look funny. They say, they, they call me names. And they hear things at school they never heard at home because home is where they, they were loved. And home ought to be that safe place where children learn what it's like to love. It's where spouses learn what it's like to love. That's why in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul talks about family relationships. His wives, chapter 5, it says, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. All family relationships, all called to, to minister to one another and all called to do it in the strength or by the example of the Lord. You can't do it by yourself. Do it in the Lord. Do it as Jesus did it, because you need help. It's hard to be a husband. It's hard to be a wife. It's hard to be a child in a home. Without God's help, you'll fail. In the Old Testament, the the nation of Israel was told that the primary job of parents was to pass on to their children a legacy of faith. Kind of like a relay where you're passing the baton to the next generation. He says, you need to talk to your kids when, when they wake up in the morning, as they go through the day, as they sit down, when you tuck them in at night. Teach them the stories and the beliefs and the traditions so that they too would put their trust in God just like you have. God created the family to be the, the transmitter of faith. And yet, the problem is, if you go through the Old Testament... And you try to find the ideal family, you won't find it. Instead, you'll find, even from the very beginning, you'll find murder, deceit, betrayal, adultery, incest. You know, all kinds of junk within families. And so when you say, I w- we want to have a biblical family, be careful. <laughs> be careful. Because hard to find one that's, that, that, that you can really put on a shelf and say, that's the family we want to be like. But here's what I find. Even in our lives today, you will not find a perfect family. I just want to tell you, quit looking for the perfect family. Quit looking for that perfect model. And quit beating yourself up for not being perfect. I don't think the goal is to be perfect. I have failed as a father and a husband many, many times. Some I've shared in sermons, some you'll never hear me share in a sermon. (laughs) not going to share you everything. But there's times I've lost my temper. There's times I've said things I regretted. There's times I didn't do things that I said I would do. There's ways I've treated my kids that I regret. And am I going to beat myself up forever for not being perfect? No. 
Maybe my kids need to see how an imperfect dad deals with those imperfections and how he lets God into his life. I, I believe our kids want to see Jesus shining in our lives in all the, the harm and the brokenness. I remember in a Sunday school class at our old building, I, w- I was telling the group, um, none of you will ever find the perfect mate. And my wife said, hey, wait a minute. And I said, okay, you did. <laughs> okay, you're the exception, honey. You did. No, just kidding. Uh, when, when I was a kid, we used to, uh, I love little marbles. That was one of my hobbies, collecting marbles. And I love the little clear crystal marbles. Well, there's something I learned you could do with crystal marbles. You can put them in a frying pan, and they'll shatter on the inside. They'll, they'll look like this. And they actually were really cool. They wouldn't fall apart. They would just shatter on the inside, and they'd still be smooth on the outside. And they became real beautiful because when the light hit it, it, just, it sent out all these different rays of light that it angled off them. And I thought, you know, that's what our lives are like. All the flaws, all the stuff inside of us that's broken, damaged, actually become a point of reflection of the light of Christ in our lives. So rather than regret not living a perfect life, say, God, you know what? I can be this beautiful display of grace because in my brokenness, and all the things I've gone through in my life, all the mistakes I've made, all the things that were done to me become a reflective point of your grace. And people who can identify with that and say, my life's broken too, you say, your life could look like this too if you let Jesus in. That's so much better than the saying, be perfect like I'm perfect. Telling your kids, you know, you can never get angry, you can never fail, you can never do these things because they'll look and say, I can never be like you. But they can be like you if you're the one who's broken and lets Jesus in. So family is so critical. The other big um, institution God's created is the church. And we use the color yellow to talk about the church because the church is the light of the world. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. And so we shine the light on Jesus so people see him, see him reflected within our lives. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 15, 16, you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And so we become a light into a dark world. In the book of Revelation, the churches are called lampstands. Lampstand was a piece of furniture in the temple or tabernacle that, that stood next to this table that had a platter with what's called the shoe bread. And it was a reminder of God's provision for the Israelites. And also that God was present with them. And the light was never to go out, but it was always to kind of shine its light on the fact that God was with them, that God has always provided for them. And when the church does that, good things happen. But when a church diverts the focus, when we become very politically minded, the light light about Jesus gets dim. When the church um, is all about our agenda instead of God's agenda, the light goes out. When we start to focus on arguing with the church down the road on how we believe this while they believe that, we've diverted attention away from the real light because the light of the world that we spotlight is Jesus. Because Jesus truly is the light that lights up every man's life who allows him in. And Jesus said, if you elevate me, I'll draw people to me. It's like the, right now we're in Miller moth season and they love the light. And where the light is, the moths are drawn. So people are like moths. And when Jesus, the light, is, is illuminated, they're drawn to him. I, I don't think people out in the world are saying, man, we are just hungry for church. We miss church. 
But I think people are hungry for Jesus and what Jesus said. They want hope. They want help. They want, they want some light in their life. They want direction and, and, uh, and answers to the questions they're dealing with. That's why I remember when I was in high school that when I first started learning about Jesus, all of a sudden it was like there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That my life seemed to be just in this dark path. I said, there's a light now. There's hope for my future. And so when we gather as a church family, we sing, we open up the word, um, we talk about these things. Our hope is that you encounter Jesus when you're here. Now, it wouldn't be a, a, vis- a visible or physical encounter, but that you hear his voice in your heart. And, and that you'd walk away from this place saying, I think God's talking to me, or God spoke to me today. And that you would say yes to whatever it is he's telling you to do in your life. We want you to encounter him in a very personal way. And if we can do that, we've succeeded. Because that means we put the light on Christ. He wants to work in your life and my life. Now, when you combine family and you combine church, you combine yellow and red, you get orange. That's why I pulled my orange shirt out of the wardrobe today, just to be a visual reminder. There is a synergy that happens. Synergy is when two are better than one. It means when, when they come together, they actually work more powerfully than they do independently, even when you add those together. They, they, they bless each other. They fuel each other. And colors convey emotions and messages. For example, um, the color blue, people say, is a power color. And it can convey peace and serenity. Um, the color white conveys purity. Well, what about the color orange? What does it convey? Well, when it comes to food, it conveys health because there's vitamins in orange foods called beta-carotene. It's very good for you. So if you look at a, 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 a plate and you've got rice, just white rice, and you've got carrots, guess which is better for you? Well, carrots. In fact, God has created a lot of food with rich colors, and those rich colors symbolize or are evidence of the vitamins within them. If you're offered at a restaurant, do you want, a, you want that uh, baked potato with the works? Or do you want a sweet potato? Well, the sweet potato has a lot of stuff that's good for you in it because it's, it's orange. Pumpkins and apricots and oranges and all these things have good things in them for you because of their color. So there's health. There's also a sense of safety and danger with orange. You drive down the road and you've got orange cones or you see those orange diamond-shaped signs that say men at work. Or, or, or men holding signs at work, you know, that kind of stuff. You go by, and you, and you, and you see those, you, you, you pay attention. Last night, I'm driving to church, and there's this, this yellow triangle that lights up on my dashboard with an exclamation mark in the middle. Now, I need someone after service, tell me what that means, because I think it's not good, okay? I, 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 I know it's not, it wasn't there today, which I think is a good sign. But last night, it was there, um, and I think I know why they call them idiot lights, because it was like saying, idiot, 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 you know. So it's, it's orange to draw attention. When guys are out hunting, they wear orange, so don't get shot by someone else. There, there's a sense of danger, alertness with orange, and I think that's, that's appropriate color for us. We live in a time that's very dangerous. It's an alarming time. Our kids are growing up in a culture that's unlike any, any time in the history of our nation. It's a very difficult time. It's a time of danger. Now we have to concern ourselves with kids, even down here in the Fountain Valley, of kids walking down the street and strangers pulling up and doing strange things from their cars. You know, it's not the safe world we live in anymore. But there's another 
Another statement that Orange makes that I see sometimes in the morning. I look out the window and there's an orange sunrise. Or at the end of the day, when the sun's going down, all of a sudden the sky is orange. And you know, it just tells me everything's going to be okay. There's a sense of hope and peace that comes with the color orange. And I hope that all, all of those, those meanings are conveyed to us whenever we see around our church, because you're going to see it a lot, especially in the next-gen department. Pastor Sam and his team, they're going to wear orange a lot. Because I want us to remem- remind ourselves that, that the, the family and the church are coming together to accomplish some significant things. A new day is dawning. We want to go in a different direction. I'm just telling you, whatever we've done in the past hasn't been enough, hasn't been working. It breaks my heart when I hear Christian couples who are, who are um, talking about divorce. And, and I think, where did we fail as a church? Or I see parents whose kids don't want to go to church anymore. And I say, what? how can we raise kids in the church all these years and now they don't want to be part of it anymore? Where did we fail our kids? But I, but I want us to go in a, in a direction that makes the family strong, that makes people want to stick it out through the difficulties, that make couples say, we are going to fight for our marriage. And parents who say, I'm not going to allow my children to wander away. I'm going to fight for their affection. I'm going to fight for their hearts. I want you to do that. I want to do that. And so the promise is that we as a church, I shared with you the premise, this is the promise, that we will continually strive to put more effort into being a church that supports and partners with the home to accomplish the same goals. We want to work together more than ever before with the home. The home is still the first church. The home is still the place where you as parents and myself included, we're accountable to God for how we've invested and transferred the faith onto our kids. What kind of effort we put into that. We don't want to supplant parents. We don't want to replace them. Uh, We don't want to tell you, you can't do it, so let us do it for you. No, we, we don't want to supplant you. We want to support you. We don't want to replace you. We want to recruit you. We want to recruit you to help us make the church a better place for our kids, a better place for families. And so we have this credible opportunity to have a partnership, to come together. And when we do this, these kinds of things will happen. Now, this isn't everything, but this is just a glimpse of what will happen when we work better together. I'm going to look first at the church side. From the church, we will emphasize more than ever family application. We've got to be able to bring it home. In Mark chapter 5 is a story of Jesus encountering a man who was filled with legions of demons. Jesus cast the demons out of him into some pigs. The pigs ran over, over the, uh, the cliff, and, uh, and they died. And then this man came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. I want to go where you go. I want to I help you do your ministry. Now, you'd think Jesus would say, all right, this guy's eager. I wouldn't call Peter and Matthew and others to follow me. This guy volunteered. But here's what Jesus said. Mark chapter 5. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Go home. Your family needs to hear. Your family needs to hear about me. More than the world out there needs to hear, it needs to start at home. You know what? One thing we, are, we, we tend to do within the church is we, we tend to help people develop this walk with God that's very disconnected from family. So you, know, you, you give your life to Christ, you're baptized. Oftentimes you, you get a book that shows you how to grow and it shows you how to pray, how to have Bible study. 
how to go to church and worship, how to share your faith, how to discover your gifts, but it never talks about how to integrate this into family life. And so we have men and women who've been in churches for years who really have no clue how to talk about it at home. Now, I'm not shaming anybody. I'm just saying we failed too in preparing you. You know, I grew up in a church, and my dad, as far as I know, never accepted Jesus. But of all the years he did go to church and my mom went to church, I can't think of a single time where that church helped my parents' marriage. I can't think of a single time when that church helped my dad be a better dad. Church ought to help the family. And instead of just helping you in your individual walk with God, we need to equip you to know how do you take it home? How how do you apply this where life meets the road? I mean, because we live most of our lives out in the context of family. How does, it, how does it play in my marriage? How does it play in my relationship with my kids or my parents or my siblings? How do we do this? We, we, we need to help apply the scriptures more there. We need, we need to include parents in planning. In planning. Pastor Sam's putting together a thing called a parents council. And I used to have a parents council at my old church. It was a group of adults who had kids in the program. And we would meet on a monthly basis And they would give me feedback on what we're doing with kids or what we're trying to do with kids. And they would say, well, this is working, this isn't working. Here's what my kids say about that. And here's what my kids would like to see. And we began to change our programs, change the nights and times of our programs, go to different camps. We started to do things that complemented what the parents were trying to do at home. And you know what happened? The parents supported the programs. They involved their kids. They personally got involved with what they were doing because they realized we're in this together. So we want to convey to parents. In fact, if you're interested in being part of that, I encourage you. Talk to Pastor Sam. We need you to work with us. That's why we're having things like the Sky Sox night, because dads want to know how they can be successful dads. And we as a church can do things like set up a night. Hey, we'll get the tickets, but you're going to have to get your kids there. I can do that. I can put my kids in the vehicle and show up at the tailgate party and go to a game. We want to set you up to win. And I think as a church, that's one of the opportunities we have to bless the home. And then we want to fortify marriages. Fortify marriages. The best thing I think we can do for the family is help mom and dad learn how to grow together in their walk with the Lord. You know, we, we could have a good men's ministry, good women's ministry, but I've known many people who've been involved in those ministries who still don't know how to bring it into their home life, into their marriage. And we have to help couples do that. You know, for my wife and I, the best thing we've ever done for a marriage is be in a small group. And we've been involved in a small group almost every year of our married life. And that small group became extended family. We've learned how to communicate with each other better because of the other couples within our group. We've learned to serve the Lord better. We've learned to talk at home about the things we're learning because of our small group together. And so we're going to encourage you. In fact, I'm going to say we're going to push you to get into a small group, to take that risk, to connect with other people. Those of us in this church who've been in a small group for sometimes several of us have been in there for several years have realized the joy of it. Uh, We become extended family. We have people within our small group that are closer than biological family. And so uh, we want to encourage you to do that. We want to have classes on Sunday mornings that that, that would help kind of give a shot in the arm and some specific issues to help you in your marriage. So those are three things we're wanting to do as a church. Now what about the home? What do we want to see happen in the home? We want to see a shared faith. 
that moms and dads and kids have a faith that they can talk about at home. They can, they can share. When they're praying to God, they're all talking to the same God together. They may go to church and be part of different programs because there is a, there is a place for specific age-related programming. I stopped by our fifth and sixth graders group here. Man, I didn't realize how, how many different sizes of fifth and sixth graders there are. There are some that, that are like this big and some that are this big. And it, they're, they're fifth and sixth graders. And I think some of those kids were with our seniors in high school at fuel on Wednesday nights. So we said, you know what? We're going to separate. We're going to have this, our own thing for fifth and sixth graders. And tonight, high schoolers have their own fuel night. And it's going to be different from the junior high night. Because there's a place and a time for individual ministry, but then you have to bring them together in the home. And so when you sit down at the dinner table or go on vacation or, or sit on the bed and talk late at night, you want to have that common faith to talk about. So the kids aren't rolling their eyes when you bring up God. There isn't this awkwardness when you talk about, hey, let's pray about that. You're together, shared faith. Kind of like Joshua in the Old Testament. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We want to help uh, in the home. We want the home to be a launch pad for ministry. A launch pad for ministry. There's not a better place to learn to do what Jesus said to wash one another's feet than in the home. Oh, okay, maybe you're not going to wash one another's feet. You're going to clean up the, the, the shower when they're done. Or, or wash their dirty dishes or their laundry. It's when you go out and pick up the trash around the yard. Learn, if you want to learn to serve, you do it right in the home. Husbands, you want to be like Jesus, serve your wife like Christ did. Wives, you want to love like Jesus, serve your husbands like Jesus did. Kids, you want to really honor your parents, serve them like Jesus served. I mean, there's so many opportunities in the home from cooking meals to cleaning up to doing dishes, buying the... I mean, there's all kinds of areas to practice humble service. Instead of getting mad and yelling at each other about all the problems, just say, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to serve. I'm going to clean up their mess. I'm going to do this. Why? Because Jesus did it for me. And then you extend it to people outside. You open up your doors and... You practice this ancient art of hospitality where people can come into your house and you serve them. You, you put a meal out in front of them, maybe a dessert or coffee, and you welcome them. Maybe give them a night's lodging. You open up your home to others. It's a powerful influence, a great display of, of Christ's love. And then it goes beyond that to where we serve the community, get involved in things that are happening in the community to serve. And, and we can even do that around the world. There are families in our church that next month, or actually later this month in June, are going to Mexico to work at our orphanage. They're going to do that as a family. They're going to serve the Lord. The home becomes a launch pad for ministry. And then finally, it becomes a haven of grace. Home becomes this, this special refuge where it doesn't matter how, how rough life is or how bad you, you were treated at school today. When you walk in the doors of your house, it's like a breath of fresh air. I'm safe here. I can be myself here. They're going to love me. They're going to care for me. They're going to listen to me. They're going to protect my heart. You know, I have to admit, uh, many of our homes, and, and I've been this way myself, can become very tense and, and, and very hostile, very explosive, a lot of anger, temper tantrums. But we need our homes to be a place that's safe, uh, that's a haven, a refuge. You know, as a church, we have a, a vision. And we don't put this whole vision out. We usually just summarize it in three key points. You know, connecting seekers, growing believers, strengthening families. But this is in the full version. Here it is. We envision a church that invites and welcomes people seeking God, guides them in their spiritual journey, and connects them to a biblically functioning community, to God's word, and to his work in the world. We see parents and children walking this journey with Christ together, fostering a multi-generational heritage of faith.
We want the faith to be passed on to the next generation, to the next generation, so that one day we can look out here and you are sitting in church with your kids and your grandkids and maybe even your great-grandkids. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's what we want to see. And that could happen if we as a church combine with what you're doing as a family to make that possible. There's a group of people out of Holland called Orange Babies. And Orange Babies is an outreach to African mothers who are afflicted with AIDS. And what they've discovered is there's a special drug, uh, it's in pill form, that if, if the mothers take this in the last month of their pregnancy, their babies um, have a 50% less chance of being AIDS babies. That pill costs $6. Pretty cheap pill to give someone a 50% chance of a long life. Now, wouldn't it be great as parents if we could give our kids a pill that says, if you take this, you have a 50% chance of living forever with the Lord. But, but we don't have it. We don't have a pill. It's not that easy. But the next best thing to a pill is to have a plan. And our plan is to work together with you. That we have the home, the red of home, combining with the light of the church, that together we become orange. And an orange atmosphere gives our children the best chance of having a life-changing, life-lasting relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things you can do to help us is this, um, you can jot this down, or, or if you're on version, it actually has a link right on, your, uh, right on the version. This link will take you to a survey. It's a very short survey. It takes you probably three minutes to fill out. But it'll give us some feedback as a church of, things that we're doing or things we could do to help you and your family. It even has a place in there where you can pick topics that maybe you'd like us to address either in a sermon or in a workshop here at, at the church. Things that you're struggling with in your home or, or in your marriage. We want to know what those things are so we can help serve you. But what I'm asking you today is, as we make this promise to you, will you make a promise on your end to help us work together to give our kids the best opportunity to know Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.